The gospel reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, taken from the message. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they are gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We saw the Master. But he said, Unless I see the nail holes in his hands... Put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side. I won't believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it into my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, My master, my God. Jesus said, So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Last night when uh, my wife Elizabeth read through the... uh, my sermon, she uh, said, boy, this would make a great chalk talk. And I thought, yeah, it would, except, boy, I'm really tethered to this, and it's probably good for you that I am tethered to this. (laughs) A few weeks ago, Pastor Clark asked me if I would be willing to preach this week. Since I look forward to these opportunities, I immediately said yes. And when I got home, I was going to look up the lectionary readings, but I paused for a moment and thought, Second week of Easter, Thomas. And when I looked up, I was correct. I think this is one of those gospel stories that we know very well. In fact, I can recall in my Catholic elementary school seeing a Renaissance painting of the scene. Jesus is standing in the room with his garment lifted over his shoulder, exposing his chest, and his hands are out, open, and extended to a kneeling Thomas who is reaching out to touch the wound in his side. When I was young, I felt sorry for two apostles. One was Judas, who was never going to escape his fate. And the second one is Thomas. 
Now, we don't know much about, about him other than he was also called the twin. And it would seem that no matter how many great things Thomas might have accomplished for the church in his lifetime, he will be forever known for this one act, forever known as Doubting Thomas. And this morning, I would like to see Thomas in a different light. For those of you who don't know me well, I'm an artist who for the last 28 years has also been a high school art teacher. So, of course, that means I teach my students how to draw and paint and sculpt. But that's only a part of what I do. My job is to teach my students how to see and how to understand what they are seeing. So let me give you two brief examples. The first was during my early teaching career when I had to sub for a kindergarten art teacher. There were no plans, so I decided to do a drawing lesson. I had the students draw their family. And, of course, I brought something. So, chalk talk type one. So, this is what I got. All right? And for those of you who had children or grandchildren, you've seen this, I'm sure. So, it's a simple, large circle with arms and legs hanging off the circle. And in the circle, there are two dots for eyes and a smile for a mouth. Now, it only took a few minutes for the children to draw these. So, with kindergartners, I had to change the activity. So, I had them stand up and decided we were going to sing head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And we did all the movements. And I know you all know it, so I would almost had you do it. But <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Uh, and when we were done singing, we still had some time, so I decided we were going to play some Simon Says, where Simon gave directions to touch your head, then touch your neck, and then touch your shoulders, and touch your arms, touch your torso. I think you get the point. So during the last few minutes of class, I asked them to draw their family again. And the results were pretty dramatic, because this time, this is what I got. Which is really very different from the very first thing. So you have to know for a four or five-year-old, the most important thing for them to know about a person is their face. So that was their initial drawing. Their perception changed, however, when we went through the, name, uh, the names and movements. They were confronted with the fact that there was more to a person, and then they responded accordingly. Another story happened this year in my AP Studio art class. Now, I've been working with this young man for three years, and he's an outstanding draftsman, which uh, pencil and ink drawing. He was working on a drawing and had some elements to it that he had little experience drawing, and he was struggling. So I let him try to figure it out for a couple of days, but I finally called his attention to look and see some fine detail that he was leaving out of his drawing that was causing him to struggle. And you should see how he can draw now. About two months ago, I stopped him and I told him that he had given himself a great gift this year. The power to see deeply into detail that most people won't bother to look at. Sight is a sense we rely on more than all others. However, it can be the least understood. There are a couple of sayings out there regarding, this, regarding sight that are important for today's reading. I'll believe it when I see it, 
so get brownie points for that. <laughs> or my favorite, seeing is believing. Now, there's nothing further from the truth than that saying. Your eyes can be fooled all the time. And there actually is a Latin phrase whose translation is, the eye sees what it wants to see. Ever watch a magician? Their job is to make the impossible look real. Or how about an optical illusion? I happen to have one of those two. This is kind of small, so I apologize for the people in the back. Um, my wife is a quilter, so I decided as I was learning how to do stained glass, I would make quilt block patterns. And I love this particular pattern because it looks like it has all these curves in it. And there isn't a single curved line in it at all. It's all straight lines. And when you study what you think is a curve, all of a sudden you'll see the straight line. One of the things I talk about in my art classes is that it isn't your eyes that see. They are only the mechanism to send information to your brain. It's your brain that completes the image. Seeing is perceiving. And in this morning's reading, John lets us know that Jesus understands that. This can't just be about seeing. So let's take a closer look at the reading. We have the apostles locked in a house since they were terrified of the Jews who put Jesus to death. If they could do that to the master, what would stop them from doing it to his disciples? And the first odd twist of the story is that Jesus entered the locked room. Now, most Bible translations say that he appeared in the room. Now, since they had already heard of the news of his resurrection, of course, after seeing him with their own eyes, they were exuberant. But don't you find it just a little strange that in their joy, that none of them go up to Jesus and hug him or kiss him on the cheek or touch him in any way? John tells us that for at least these ten disciples, seeing is believing. He also tells us that he spoke to them and they felt his breath. Traditionally, a visual way to ascertain if somebody has died is to put a piece of polished metal or glass up to someone's nose, and you look to see if there's water vapor from their breath. And that would tell you if a person was breathing or not. So feeling his breath is an important fact that tells us that he is alive indeed. Now we come to Thomas and another odd twist. He says, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. So he starts out with the need to see to believe, but then just seeing won't be enough to believe. To believe he wants to touch Jesus, but instead of just touching or hugging or kissing him on the cheek or feeling his breath, he goes way past that. He defiantly won't believe unless he can put his finger in the nail holes and his hand into his side. The other disciples were exuberant with just seeing Jesus, and here is Thomas, who refuses to believe without doing something that none of us would ever think of doing to another. I think the story of Thomas is the way that Jesus teaches, reaches into the future for our belief in him. If the disciples were so afraid for their lives, why wasn't Thomas with them on Jesus' first visit? Perhaps if he was with the other ten, 
he would have followed the lead of everyone else in the room and believed by seeing. And why, eight days after Jesus appeared to them, telling them to be at peace and go into the world and forgive sins so that all might have life, are they still in the locked room? This story is important as Thomas is our witness. We need someone who was close to Jesus to be defiant in the belief that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We need someone who would demand an outrageous and intimate act in order to be 100% convinced. We needed Thomas to be our tactile proof. Seeing isn't enough. Jesus knew that at some point in time, everyone who was an eyewitness to, well, eyewitness to his life, death, and resurrection would be gone. That is why Jesus tells his disciples and us, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. John uses one last opportunity in this reading to push the point and remind us why it is important. He tells us that Jesus did many more God-revealing signs that are not written down, but that these are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. In the way he personally revealed it. Those words are very interesting. We know from the story how Jesus wanted it revealed. Can you imagine other ways he could have revealed himself to the world? His way was very quiet. During his ministry, when someone revealed who he was, he made them keep quiet. Look how few people Jesus revealed, to, revealed himself to after his resurrection. On the road to Emmaus, he doesn't even reveal himself to his traveling companions until breaking bread. So after the resurrection, why didn't Jesus simply walk into the temple? That would have been an instant sensation. But that type of revelation would not have been seen as a testament of belief. That would have been nothing other than seeing is believing, and that is fleeting. To believe in Christ is to believe in love and the strength of love. It's not the strength of power. God wants us to come to him because we sincerely want to come to him. My wife shared a story with me from her childhood that I think gives us another interesting twist. Elizabeth Uncle Pete is Swedish, and several of his relatives came to visit from Sweden one summer. They all did pretty well with speaking English, but some phrases were a little tricky. In one conversation, Pete's cousin, Hagar, tried to say, I'll believe it when I see it, but it came out, I'll see it when I believe it. So I wonder if she knew some 40 years ago what the world would be like today. So perhaps I won't feel sorry for doubting Thomas anymore. It seems the greatest gift he could give us was serving as a witness to the awesome power of God in the manner that Jesus wanted it to be revealed. The next time someone tells you that seeing is believing, tell them that in Christ you don't need to see to believe. And we can thank Thomas for that. 
Amen.